you want to achieve something, you have to believe in it. Mm. If you don't believe, then how are you going to act? Uh, yeah. Half-hearted um, action is no good. If you have to take some action to do something, whatever it is, even if you are writing a book, you have to believe in your writing a book. If you mm. want to dance, if you want to play uh, some instrument, or you want to paint, you have to believe in it. Without believing in your um, values and your vision and making commitment to it and dedicating yourself to it fully and wholeheartedly, you cannot achieve anything. So I believe in sustainability. I believe in regenerative economy. I believe in uh, cyclical economy. And I believe that we can regenerate our soil and we can regenerate our environment and we can plant more trees and we can stop using chemicals and fertilizers and pesticides and other poisonous things into the soil and people can learn skills to build beautiful houses and grow good food and make beautiful furniture and live a good, healthy, happy life. So uh, I have that optimism and I have that belief. Hey folks, it's Tom Ball here and welcome back to another episode of Second Mind, the show that empowers you to be the greatest version of yourself and better our world. For today's episode, I was extremely privileged to interview Satish Kumar. At the age of just nine, Satish left home to become a Jain monk and campaigned for Gandhi's vision of a renewed India. Then, later in the 1960s, he embarked on an 8,000-mile peace pilgrimage with no money, walking on foot, relying only on the kindness of strangers to visit each of the four nuclear weapons capitals across the globe to deliver a message of peace. Later, after settling in the UK, Satish took up the position of editor of Resurgence and Ecologist magazine, a position which he held for over 40 years. As if that wasn't enough... He is the founder and director of programs at the Schumacher College uh, International Centre for Ecological Studies and of the small school, promoting a model for holistic education. He's the author of nine books, including Soil, Soul and Society, a new trinity for our time. This environmentalist has dedicated his life to spreading a message of connection, simplicity and peace. Satish is a truly inspirational human being with fascinating life experiences and I really do feel we can all learn from his advice to live in better alignment with nature, society and ourselves. I hope you all enjoy the conversation. Peace. Welcome everybody to another episode of Second Mind. Uh, I'm here today with Satish Kumar. Satish, welcome to Second Mind. I have a lot to talk to you about. Um, uh, It's hard to know where to start, but I think a good place to begin um, is to go back to where I first uh, heard you speak in public, which is in the Georgium Village Hall at your talk, um, Activism for uh, Happy People and a Healthy Planet. Um, you mentioned the idea that uh, it's very important for us before we go out and uh, make an effort to change the world. It's very important that we um, work on developing uh, an inner sense of peace and fulfillment and, and connection with our, ourselves. Um, and I was really uh, so happy that you mentioned it on that evening because it's something um, which I've based this whole project around in enabling people to be their best and most fulfilled version of themselves, and then they can go out and do positive things in the world. Um, so I wanted to ask you, um, where did you first encounter that particular idea, and why do you think it is so valuable? <coughs> yes, uh, very good question. I first encountered this idea by reading Mahatma Gandhi. He said that we have to be the change that we want to see in the world. Mm. If we want to see the world to be a happy place, we have to be happy first. If we want to see the world sustainable, we have to be sustainable first. If we want to see the world 
is full of love, then we have to be full of love ourselves. Mm. Because the world and we are connected. Actually, we are the world. The world is our extension. We are made of the world. And the world is made of each and every one of us. It's each and every one of us is gone out of this world. Then there is no world. And so each and every one of us contributes to the world. Like each tree makes the, makes the forest. Mm. If the, one by one, if you take each tree saying, oh, it's not important, there's only one tree, there are thousands of other trees. But one by one, if you take those trees down and cut down and destroy them, there'll be no forest left. So you have to maintain the whole forest Each and every single tree is important. In the mm. same way, if you want to make the whole world a beautiful, sustainable, happy, healthy place, then each and every individual is important to make that world and to make that thing happen. This is why Mahatma Gandhi said that be the change that you want to see in the world. That is a very valuable insight. Thank you, Satish. Uh, and in your own experience... Um, what practices have helped you generate that inner sense of fulfillment so you can be a positive part of the whole? First of all, I practice in my heart that I don't have to rush. I don't have to hurry. I have to have a patience. I have to make things properly, do things properly. Mm make well and do well rather than do quickly and hurriedly. Because when you put pressure upon yourself to do things quickly and get there quickly, rush, 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 you are not doing things to your satisfaction and to fulfillment. So first practice I do is to do things well and do things properly and not do things in a hurry. Secondly, I try to balance my life with my intellectual work, with my social work, and with my personal and family work. Because these are connected. If we just work, work, work for the world, just for the movement, for changing the world, uh, for working for Friends of the Earth or Greenpeace or um, Green Party or, or, or some other Extinction Rebellion or some other big organization, day and night if you work, and no time for yourself, for your reading, for your sleeping, for your cooking, for your walking, for your gardening, for taking of yourself, taking care of yourself, then I think you will have a quick burnout. Therefore, I have managed to maintain that balance in my life. So I like to spend every day a little bit of time cooking and gardening mm. and walking and writing and editing and, and speaking and protesting. So all those things are part of one big picture rather than just only one thing and nothing else. So maintaining that balance in my life, I have found very important to make me fulfilled and happy and whole. Mm. And then I can be, I think, more effective in the world and in the movement. Yeah, I uh, really do think that some elements of the world are encouraging us to be more specialist and specialist and specialist and put our time into one specific pursuit. And I think it'd be great to start shining uh, more of a light on and highlighting how valuable it is to be a generalist and enjoying all aspects of, of life and not feeling guilty for spending uh, time doing a, a slow bit of cooking rather than rushing through everything. If you look at your body, your body has everything. It's a whole being. You have intellect, you have a heart to feel, and you have hands to make and you have legs to walk. So your whole body experience is such that you are not a specialist. You are not a specialist that you have only eyes and nothing else, and your specialism is to see, or you have only ears to hear and nothing else. 
Your specialism is just to hear. No, you have been given all the senses together. So you can see, you can hear, you can taste, you can smell, you can touch, you can feel, you can think, you can make, you can create, you can be, everything. So it is very important that we are whole and not part. Our body is made of everything. We have the potential to be everything. And so um, having your life more comprehensive and more varied and, and, and being able to uh, think, feel, make, do, hear, see, dance, sing, write, uh, paint, um, do many things. I think the ideal of a Renaissance person is a very great ideal. You should be able to do many things. It is not good to have this specialism and then you are not able to do um, just more than one thing or two things. Uh, of course, uh, within that uh, context of uh, being able to do more than one thing, you have to, of course, have a certain amount of discipline and, and develop one or two skills to their great excellence. So, for example, if you are a dancer, then you can uh, develop your dancing much more than many other things like writing poetry or painting a picture or building a house. But at the same time, there are other small things like gardening and cooking and walking and, and being with the family and being with the friends. That should be for everybody. It should not be specialism that some people can have just gardening and some people can do just cooking and some people can just do family life. That kind of thing is not good. So everybody must do more than one thing, but a few things you can develop to their excellence. Mm. And it is a, a, a great insight to say, you know, make yourself well-rounded because then when you are doing lots of different activities, you are able to be mindful of those activities, um, especially things like that walking and connecting with nature. Absolutely, absolutely. When you are doing those things, then you also value other people's work as well. Because mm. sometimes we put this too much value on one thing and not enough value on other thing. So, for example, we will say maybe writing a book is more valuable than uh, producing food in the garden or, um, or uh, being a lawyer or a doctor is more important or a banker more important and therefore you get highly paid because you are a banker or a lawyer or a doctor. But if you are a gardener or a farmer or a builder or a laborer, then you are not so valuable. You get very little paid. That, but if you are doing gardening and cooking and some practical work with your own hands, then you will value the importance of that work. So I think it is very good for us to understand and know the value and the dignity of work, the dignity of everything. Uh, cooking has a dignity. Gardening has a dignity. And when you are walking, that's a very important uh, to connect with nature. Uh, at the moment, people are very sedentary and they sit behind uh, their desk or in front of their computer or um, uh, holding their smartphones uh, with social media and, and mm. uh, kind of surfing the internet all the time. And therefore, they don't go out in nature. They don't uh, commune with trees and they don't walk along the river and they don't know the wildflowers in the spring and they don't know the waves of the sea but they don't experience them. Uh, maybe they can see the photos um, or watch television. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe Attenborough or some great uh, filmmaker making some beautiful pictures. But when mm. you are going walking in nature and, and in the forest, along the river, among the um, uh, wildflowers, or sitting by the sea, watching the sunset or the, the sunrise and looking at the waves after waves after waves uh, hitting the rocks, that experience enriches you and connects you and then you start to love and respect and uh, adore and revere nature. So being in nature and walking, and this is why we have been given two legs, so we can walk in nature and we can walk from one place to another place. At the moment, our society and our people have become too dependent on uh, four vehicles um, uh, or trains or, or cars or even bicycles. I like to walk and walking for me is the best way to connect with nature. I totally agree. I find that if I'm having a bit of a stressful day, if I'm um, yeah, thoughts are racing through my head, it's usually because of my environment. And if I am in a small little room thinking over issues that I have to solve, 
I can almost instantaneously change my mindset by stepping outside and not even by the end of my driveway at my house, my thoughts are, are so much clearer and I can see a positivity in my day, which was not there when I was sat at my desk indoors. So there is something so valuable about that. So I'm glad to hear that because I also have the same thing. If I'm feeling a bit uh, anxiety or a little bit upset or a little bit even angry or, or something is bothering me, then I just leave the house and mm. go even in the garden. Uh, I, if I go in the garden or just uh, uh, walk in the little valley uh, in Heartland where I live, just mm. even for 20 minutes walking, clears my mind and my anger dissipates and my anxiety dissolves and I mm. feel much more whole and much more connected and much more happy. So I think you are, I agree with you, your experience and my experience are very similar. I'm glad you're also using this and experiencing it. Um, when, when you look at humanity as a whole, uh, how do you feel about our connection to nature as a species currently? I mean, humanity as a whole is very big. Uh, there are two aspects in our humanity. One is a more rural and country life. And if you look at the world, still I think 40-50% or 40% at least, people are living in rural areas, in smaller villages mm. and in the countryside. Uh, and their lives are much closer to nature. And, and they work on the land or they walk in forests and they uh, look after um, animals or they watch the birds and they uh, make honey so they know the, the, the bees and, and butterflies and so on. So their lifestyle and their uh, humanity uh, is much closer to nature. But then there are about 50 to 60 percent of people I don't know exact figure of how many people live in urban areas, but I would guess that 50 to 60 percent of the world population now living in large cities, urban areas, and there our lives have become much more disconnected. So what I would like to see is that nature should not be exiled out of the cities. Mm. We need to bring nature back in the city. I'm glad to tell you that London... Big city, but 48% of London is green. Really? Yes. There are lots of parks, lots of trees, lots of little gardens, rivers, uh, canals, uh, and, and, and the lakes in London. So 48% is green. So if we can have every city like that, and I think you can make London maybe 52% or 55% of London Green, then it can become a national park. Because in order to um, uh, qualify uh, for becoming a national park, you need 52 to 54% of your area green. So London is not too bad, but there are other cities. I would say Paris is a bit too um, built up and New York is a bit too built up, although there's a beautiful Central Garden, uh, Central Park in New York. But that Central Park is just uh, small and not enough uh, space there. So uh, Tokyo is not so good. Uh, there are lots of uh, people living there, lots of buildings. And, and people living in high rise is not so good. Unless you look at the trees and you have a little connection with uh, birds and, and insects and the, and the plants and some water or mm. some soil. If human beings are disconnected from the soil, then they are disconnected from life. Because we are made of soil. The word human comes from the word humus. Humus means soil in Latin. So human beings are literally soil beings. And therefore, us being disconnected from the soil and from water and from the air and from uh, plants and, and from herbs and from flowers and from trees and from butterflies and all the natural life is not good for us. So I would like to see cities becoming more naturalized and, uh, and, and, uh, and around cities, say within 
40, 50 mile radius should be a lot of countryside. And all our foods and our milk and cheese or anything we need uh, for the city should come from 40, 50 mile radius of the countryside where there's a lot of farming and a lot of gardening and a lot of uh, wool and a lot of fruit and a lot of vegetables. They all come from 40, 50 mile radius. That way we can reduce our carbon emission and the food miles and the impact on the environment will be much less because our food is coming from nearby. So that will be the ideal design of urban rural balance and that way humanity can be more healthy, more happy, good food and good air and clean water and that way um, we can have uh, much less carbon emission and, and a much less um, uh, uh, climate change and, and at the same time very delicious and tasty food and, and a very good environment. So that is my design. And I mean, that's a beautiful vision of, of cities of the future for that person who's living in the high rise building right now and they can't immediately change their situation. Um, what small tip would you give to them an actionable thing that they could do um, from their, their high rise building to be able to connect with nature or spark that first connection? So if you are forced to live in a high rise building, uh, then what I suggest is that wherever you are working, Go to your work on foot. Because while you are going from your high-rise building to your workplace, you will have a little bit of fresh air, a little bit of exercise. And when you are walking, you will see some insects, some butterflies, some bees, some birds, something you will come into contact. So that's one tip I will give you. Walk to your uh, workplace rather than uh, taking a train or particularly underground train, uh, which is very crammed in the uh, uh, rush hours and people are packed in the trains and you don't get fresh air. So walk to your work. That's one tip I will give you. Second tip I will give you is that uh, during the weekend, don't stay in your apartment make some friendship with some farmers in the countryside and take a train or a bus to go in the countryside and spend at least 24 hours in the countryside. That will balance your life because uh, five days a week living in a high-rise building uh, will deprive you from fresh air, fresh water and the connection with flowers and fruit and animals and birds and insects. So at least one day a week you should make like a religious like a uh, like a sabbath like a, a sunday uh, people used to go to church for me nature is my church nature is my religion nature is my temple nature is my god you can call it so if mm. i go uh, uh, for a weekend in nature and and spend my time on a farm or or in a forest or by the river or by the sea then i am in a temple i'm in a church i am in the company of god Nature is my God. So that's what I will advise to all these people who have, are forced to live, unfortunately, in high-rise buildings. For me, that's very unfortunate. Uh, then I will say um, at least one day a week, um, take that Sabbath and sabbatical and leave your high-rise building, leave your big cities and go out and be in nature and celebrate nature, enjoy nature, even worship nature. I think that's a really valuable tip. And especially as when you're, when you're visiting areas that are producing food or can bring that to you know if you're having a little like herb pots in your window um any sort of connection you can get to your food is really valuable i feel because that's you know everyone has to eat food and if they're eating a healthy diet eating their their vegetables and developing a connection to where your food comes from and it's, nowadays it's there are many many places even in big cities you can get farmers markets mm. even if you are living in a big city you are living in a high-rise uh, uh, apartment block. Even then, on a day, one day a week, Friday or Saturday, look out. There may be a farmer's market in your neighborhood or in your town. And take a trip there and look at the vegetables which are being sold without plastic. Look at the um, cheese being sold without plastic. 
and weigh the vegetables and weigh the cheese and, and weigh other uh, grain which may not be in bags of plastic and buy loose uh, vegetables and unpacked uh, cheese and unpacked rice and, and other things and get your food which is healthy, organic and coming directly from the market, farmer's market, and produced by the farmers. And when you are buying your vegetables and herbs and fruit and cheese and, and, uh, and grain, make friendship with the farmers who has made the cheese, who has uh, produced the vegetables, who has produced the apples, and who has made the apple juice and put in the bottles. So if you make that friendship with your farmer and, and have a healthy diet and you know where your food is coming from, that will be much better for your health. Otherwise, so many people in our world are suffering from mental problems, heart problems, um, breast, can breast cancer, uh, many other di different kinds of diseases. The, the National Health Service can't cope with the illness we have in our society. So why we have so much illness? Because our, um, our food is not uh, healthy and good, because air is not good, because water is not good. If we live in a polluted environment, how do you expect to be healthy? So I would urge people who are living in high-rise buildings to look out for farmer's market and buy your week's supply from a farmer directly and not go to supermarkets and buy this plastic wrapped and bag plastic bags and a plastic packaging and wrapping. Avoid that, boycott that and buy fresh food from farmer's market. Mm, that would make a really strong community, those, those small day-to-day -day relationships that we can build up. Absolutely. When you when you speak about your vision for a more sustainable society and more connected people, you do it with a sense of um, optimism and positivity. And it seems that you're very focused on an optimistic viewpoint, whereas um, sometimes the environmental space can focus on more of a uh, fear based viewpoint. How uh, through all of the difficulties through the environmental movement and your own personal life, how do you cultivate that? Um, it's, it's a very consistent positivity attitude to life. I am an activist. And to be an activist, you have to be an optimist. If you are a pessimist, you cannot be an activist. Because you give up. You are so pessimist. Nothing will change. Nothing will happen. Everything is going wrong. Everything is going bad. Bad, bad, bad. You don't see anything positive. So you give up. So uh, maybe you can be a journalist but not an activist <laughs> if you're a pessimist. Yeah. And so uh, I would say to be an activist, you have to be an optimist. And I am an activist because I still believe that we can change the world, we can improve the world, we can uh, bring nature back into our life, we can bring sustainability back into our life, we can live healthy, good, sustainable life on this planet because nature is abundant. Nature has so much generosity and so much to give. There is no shortage of anything. Um, uh, there's more food in the world than humans can eat. But unfortunately, 40% of food in the world is thrown away and wasted. So uh, my optimism comes from this belief that humanity can rise to the challenge and will rise to the challenge and we will be able to make necessary changes in our society so that our next generation and generation after don't have to live a polluted and wasteful life that we are living today. And when you look at the examples like Greta Thunberg and, and uh, hundreds of thousands of young boys and girls in schools around the world, in India, in China, in Japan, in Europe, in America, in South America, in Africa, every country, hundreds of countries, young boys and girls are marching on Fridays and saying that we are going to build a new world and a new society without um, pollution, without waste, without carbon emission, without climate change and, and a climate crisis. That gives me optimism and hope that these young generations uh, can rise up and say we are not going to live the kind of life you have lived in your previous generation and we are going to build a new world and a new life which is more ecological, more natural, more sustainable, more fulfilling, more happy, more healthy. Then that gives me optimism. This is why I'm the optimist and I'm an activist. It is it's very hard to achieve a, a vision or a goal that you don't believe in. So I think that belief element of it and that optimism that you're able to get to it is, yeah. is extremely important. Yeah, yeah. If you want to achieve something, you have to believe in it. Mm. If you don't believe, then how are you going to act? 
yeah. half-hearted um, action is no good. If you have to take some action to do something, whatever it is, even if you are writing a book, you have to believe in your writing a book. If you mm. want to dance, if you want to play uh, some instrument, or you want to paint, you have to believe in it. Without believing in your um, values and your vision and making commitment to it and dedicating yourself to it fully and wholeheartedly, you cannot achieve anything. So I believe in sustainability. I believe in regenerative uh, economy. I believe in uh, cyclical economy. And I believe that we can regenerate our soil and we can regenerate our environment and we can plant more trees and we can stop using chemicals and fertilizers and pesticides and other poisonous things into the soil and people can learn skills to build beautiful houses and grow good food and make beautiful furniture and live a good, healthy, happy life. So uh, I have that optimism and I have that belief. Do you think there's any... Uh, pockets of humans or, or, or countries that are really leading the way or in the way to that vision or are living in that way currently? I would say in every country there are great examples of people starting new projects, new ways of doing farming, new ways of shopping, new ways of making things uh, more ethical, more sustainable, more natural. All those things are in every country. I mean, small countries are doing a bit, maybe a little bit better uh, than big countries. For example, Bhutan is a very good example for me. They uh, are not pursuing the gross national product. They are gr uh, pursuing gross national happiness. Rather than GNP, they say we believe in GNH, gross mm. natural happiness. Now, Bhutan is a very beautiful example of more ecological, more sustainable, more cultural, more arts and crafts, and more tradition, and more spirituality, and more Buddhism. All these things are there. I visited Bhutan three, four times, and every time I've been very inspired and very impressed. The other country which I find uh, very inspiring is Costa Rica. They've abandoned mm. having army. They, the only con one country in the whole world which has no army is called Costa Rica. That is a great example. Why, if Costa Rica can survive, why can't Britain and France and Germany and, and Japan can survive without armies? So Costa Rica is also very ecological and a very sustainable. I mean, nothing is perfect. I'm not saying that Bhutan and Costa Rica are perfect, but they are making a better example in peace and sustainability than many, many big countries. However, I would say that even in big countries like India or China uh, or, uh, or America, uh, United States of America or Europe, there are many, many wonderful examples like Transition Town Movement is a very good example of how people are making changes. In the same way, there is a, 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 a network of uh, eco-villages around the world and there are many, many ecological villages which are setting good example and a good project and people are living different kind of lifestyle by becoming an eco-village. So transition town and eco-village movement is a good example that even in big country like China, there is a big movement now of shifting from being a, a, an industrial civilization to an ecological civilization. There's a whole movement in China promoting, building, and, 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 and developing the ideals of ecological civilization. Because we had had agricultural civilization, then we shifted from agricultural civilization to industrial civilization, and now there's a big group of um, Chinese people are building ecological civilization. So that's another good example. So there are many, many pockets of change taking place in many, many countries, uh, and also in Japan I have seen, also in India I have seen. So many, many countries are doing it. But I would say as a whole country, Bhutan and Costa Rica stand out in my view. Mm. I totally agree with you that there are pockets in every country around the world where there are people who are of a certain mindset and are yeah. um, really you know, being the change that they want to see by setting up their own small communities yeah, yeah. and living their ideal lives. And I think they're really reaping the benefits of that with their well-being. You, if you put them all together, um, in all countries put together, I would say there are 
hundreds of millions of people engaged in sustainable, uh, more healthy, more happy, more peaceful uh, yeah. world. There are hundreds of millions of people engaged in this kind of lifestyle, but they are not organized. And maybe it is good that they are not organized and they are dispersed. And so we don't see them. And the newspapers and the media does not cover those examples. Uh, media and news, uh, um, news uh, papers and, and the television and radio, they only cover when something is going bad. Mm. Bad news is news. Good news is not news. Therefore, um, what is going on in the world in terms of good news is not reported. But under this radar, there's a lot of good things are happening. And that also gives me a lot of optimism and hope. It's interesting that you brought up the point of sort of bad news and good news because the tactics of, say, a group that's become quite successful in the UK and actually worldwide, Extinction Rebellion, they've um, taken on their messaging with, it's quite like, in a way, a little bit fear-based and very uh, creating a sense of urgency, saying like time is running out um, uh, or, you know, we're going to be facing this disaster situation. And when you look at the science, there, there isn't much time to do um, quite big work on some of these ecological issues and societal issues. How, how do you see their, their message um, in relation to your, your perspective? I mean, it depends on uh, who you talk to in the Extinction Rebellion. Uh, there's not one opinion there. Hmm. And I would say the majority of people involved in the Extinction Rebellion are inspired by love rather than fear. Mm. Uh, love of nature, love of humanity, love of good life, love of the earth. And love is the more driving force as far as I have come across the Extinction Rebellion people and I have met. I have found that they are not so much driven by fear, but they are inspired by love. And even in the manifesto of Extinction Rebellion, if you look at their book, um, uh, this is not a drill, that book, a uh, collection of uh, essays about Extinction Rebellion, and particularly their introduction and manifesto, they talk about love and not fear. Yeah. So Extinction Rebellion is a mixed but majority of it is inspired by love of the earth and love of nature. And therefore, they want to protect it. They want to save it. They want to take care of it. And they don't want to see it destroyed. But of course, there are some people also driven by fear and thinking there's not enough time and so on. And that's a, that's a, a nature of a big movement. In big movement, uh, you cannot have just one opinion or one view or one vision or one value system. Uh, you cannot have that. Everybody come with their own values and their own uh, shortcomings or their virtues. So some people come with love, some people come with fear. And I think every movement will have that mixture uh, mm. always. Even in the peace movement, in the 60s and 70s against the nuclear um, uh, arms race and, and, and in favor of nuclear disarmament. There were people who were driven by fear, but also there were people who were driven by love and inspired by love of peace and good life and humanity. And therefore they worked for peace. So these two forces will always work together. But I am more in favor of people being inspired by love, love of the earth and love of humanity and love of good life rather than fear. Because uh, fear can make you uh, sort of um, make you weak and timid and, and, and a kind of impotent. Therefore, if you want to have a lot of energy and a lot of, uh, yeah. In the end, it is love which saves the day. In the end, it is love which saves the earth. In the, in the end, it is love which will save humanity. It's not the fear which will save the day or which will uh, make the day or, or save the humanity or protect the planet. So I think, for me, the power of love uh, is greater than the force of fear. I would totally agree with you. From my experience being involved with some of the Extinction Rebellion activities, although the media might have you believe that there's all these urgent fear-based messages going out, yeah. the actual culture and network of Extinction Rebellion and what's ha happening on the ground is really coming from a place of, of love. Love yeah. for the the human humans other yeah. humans who are involved and but also love of future generations 
Yeah. Love of the future yeah. generation, love of our children and grandchildren. Yeah. That's a great love. And there are many, many um, people involved in Extinction Rebellion are uh, mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers mm. and, 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 and so on. So they have love for their children. They want to protect the planet Earth so that let their children can grow in a good, beautiful uh, sort of environment. Mm. Lots of grandparents getting arrested in the last year. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, you uh, have a vision of sustainability with the principles um, soil, soul and society. Um, I was wondering if you could expand on that um, to describe your vision. You know, uh, many great movements encapsulates their vision and their values and their essence in three words. So when we had a French Revolution, their three words were egalité, liberty, fraternity. Then the Christianity expressed their vision in three words, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The New Age movement um, encapsulated their vision in mind, body, spirit. So these are called three words which generally express the essence of uh, a particular age or particular movement or particular religion or particular um, kind of uh, campaign. Mm. I feel that for environmental uh, movement and for the age of ecology and our holistic time, we need three words which express this holistic vision. Um, and, and our connection with nature, our connection with ourselves and a personal well-being and our connection with human community and human society. So these three dimensions need to come together. And most of the trinities of the past, like egalité, liberté, fraternité, they don't have any uh, expression in those three words uh, about our relationship of nature or with nature or even spirituality. And so I have been thinking that what would be the three words which will encapsulate the essence of the age of ecology and the environmental movement, what I call holistic movement and a holistic philosophy rather than a partial. So rather, um, I would say many people are just human-centered. They think humanity is the most important. The other things are not important. The nature is only in the service of humanity. Humanity is more important. Other people say, no, 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 the spirituality is more important. We have to uh, have a, a spirit and a God and, and a religion and, and, and a love and, and friendship and, and um, compassion. Our personal spirituality is more important. And then some people say, no, 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 conservation. I have to save the planet. We have to protect the elephants. We have to protect the um, biodiversity. We have to protect the, the tigers or whatever you are concerned with. So their only focus is on one single issue of protecting and conserving the natural world. I think that kind of limited vision holds us back. If we want to move forward, we need to bring these three together. And this is why I have created this new trinity for our time. Our time is the time of ecology, sustainability and holistic way of life. And so this new trinity for our time I have managed to create is soil, soul and society. So first I put soil at the top in the beginning because everything is made of soil. Our body is made of soil. Our homes are made of soil. Our clothes are made of soil. All the food we eat is made of soil. Without soil, there is no life. And people don't talk about soil. They don't think about soil. Soil is just, uh, by the way, under your, under your feet. And soil is the dirt. And, and you don't want to get dirty. And therefore, you mm. wash your hands if your hand, soil is on your hands. So people don't revere and respect and appreciate the importance of soil. So I want to remind people that we humans are made of soil. Humus, human, come from the same root and therefore human beings are soil beings. And then I want to remind people that in that uh, respect and love for soil, uh, we have to enter in our heart and, and, and soul and in our spirit and therefore being happy, being peaceful, being harmonious and being healthy yourself and taking care of yourself is as important as taking care of the soil. And so bringing 
the the natural world into your personal world and inner world because without the inner there is no outer and without the outer there is no inner so inner and outer are connected so i want to emphasize this idea that the outer and inner must go together uh, without inner without this room inside the walls are no use and the, without the walls there will be no room so inside and outside are connected so soil and soul are connected so i put soul uh, in the second and the third we have to extend our human community at the moment we are so divided humanity is so divided in the name of religion in the name of nationality in the name of race in the name of education in the name of rich and poor in the name of so many things we are divided there's no one single humanity which we can conceive mm-hmm. uh, and therefore we are fighting uh, um, make great america uh, america great again or brexit or china is great or russia is great or india is great every uh, and or you can say hinduism is better than islam or islam is better than Christianity or Christianity is better than uh, Buddhism uh, or I am better than you and one race is better than the other race all these kind of divisions are holding us back and creating poverty conflict war um, arms race um, all the things that we see which are so negative in the world are created by this division and 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 a kind of um, separation uh, bet- between uh, people so i want to say that we need to create a one humanity having one single origin we all come from the same natural world and the big bang we all come from the same big bang we are all born first in africa so we are one humanity and whatever your religion whatever is your nationality whatever is your political philosophy whatever it is doesn't matter it's a diversity so celebrate diversity don't turn diversity into division that's the idea of my third part of trinity society so this is why i have created this new trinity for our time soil soul society i really like the vision um some people when playing devil's advocate some people may argue that the aspect of competition and conflict in humanity is almost integrated into our dna if you look at the animal kingdom there's so sort of like conflict and competition going on there do you do you think that um that can coexist in your vision of a, a sustainable society yes first of all competition is a good thing competition means striving together com means together petition means striving so when you are playing two teams together in cricket or football or whatever sport you are playing you are not playing against each other you are playing together that is competition they are competing together so competition is good you work together and then there is a struggle in working together you are also struggling you are trying to make better and better so you are i'm trying to make something better than you and you are trying to make something better than me so so we are competing in writing better books or or creating a better architecture or creating better uh, anything so having that competition is good so i'm not against competition if you understand the true meaning of the word striving together come together petition striving then a little bit little bit of conflict is also part of human life through struggle and through uh, conflict we grow we evolve evolution has always been in that conflict and in that struggle so a little bit of struggle is good but we don't have to just focus on struggle and conflict and 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 then try to um, kill each other and and in the name of uh, conflict and struggle uh, holocaust 6 million jews were killed um, uh, um uh, in the name of second world war maybe 20 30 million people were killed um in the name of uh, iraq war uh, we killed hundreds of thousands of people so we don't have to go to that extent in in the name of uh, struggle and conflict there is some natural struggle which is part of our evolution and part of our um, being and making uh, but we don't have to um, kind of um, put it on the pedestal and worship uh, conflict and war and kill each other that's not my ideal of um, evolution and a progress so i would say um, uh, love and friendship and working together and 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 uh, and and a making journey together 
competition and cooperation are complementary. They are not against each other. So we need competition and we need cooperation. At the moment, we have put competition at the pedestal and cooperation we have forgotten. We need both. I like the idea that you propose of when two teams are, um, you know, when they're playing football, they're working together. And it's, it's like because they're both there facing one another in opposition, they are encouraging each other to be better at the exactly, game. Exactly. And, and so they're both winning, really. Exactly. Although there's someone who wins that game. Well, that doesn't They've matter. They've all and improved that, the skills. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter, yeah. Um, when, you, when you look at society and our relationship with money, do you think this is sustainable? And, and how would you like to see it change? If, if uh, so? Money is a good invention. Money makes life a bit easier and more convenient. But money is a means of exchange of goods and services. Money is, should not be a, a status symbol or a, a symbol of power or control or, or anything of that kind. As long as money is used for its true purpose. But at the moment, money has become a symbol of status and a control and a power. And money uh, has no connection with the goods and services. Um, um, uh, billions and billions or trillions and trillions of dollars and pounds and, and euros are going around the world just chasing each other and nothing to do with goods and services. So money has lost its purpose and money has become a kind of symbolic um, status symbol and, and a kind of symbol of power and control. I would like to, blow, I would like to see the, the money brought back to its real purpose and the real purpose of money is to use it as a means of exchange to make life easier, more comfortable, more convenient so that we can exchange goods and services with our money and not uh, think that if I have money, I'm better than you. And I have money, therefore I have more power than you. And if I have money, uh, I can do what I like and, and, uh, and order you about and, and mess you about. That kind of idea uh, that money gives you this pride and arrogance and a, and a, kind, of, uh, um, uh, a kind of hierarchical uh, status, that should be uh, removed, I would say. But otherwise, money has its good purpose. I think we've all seen in the media too many people who have, you know, celebrities who have earned so much money and they still have the same problems as you and I. You know, they have issues with maybe addiction or relationships. And, yeah. and uh, yet we still, as a, as a Western society, we're very, very money hungry. We're chasing after it and chasing after it as a status symbol. So yeah. it's, it's uh, cool to hear you um, think of a vision for a better relationship with, with money. Yeah. Um, you, uh, a few years ago, went on a, a walk from India to America, um, 8,000 8, miles as an anti-nuclear peace walk. Um, I was wondering um, if you could tell a little bit about why you went on that walk and, and how was that experience? In the 60s, when I went on this long walk from India to America, the nuclear uh, problem of nuclear weapons was a very acute problem. It was a height of Cold War. The Soviet Union and the communist regime and, and behind it, Eastern Europe and China, they were on one side and the United States and Western Europe and Japan and Australia on the other side and the tremendous tension. Like at this moment we face a great crisis of climate change in the 60s, humanity was facing a great crisis of nuclear holocaust or nuclear catastrophe. And therefore, I was so um, inspired by the peace movement at that time, particularly people like Bertrand Russell, who went to jail for um, uh, nuclear disarmament and, and protesting against the nuclear weapons. And so I was very inspired to, um, to work for peace. But peace for me was still even at that time, was um, a very comprehensive idea. Peace within yourself, peace with other people and nuclear disarmament, but also stopping the arms race, but also peace with nature, mm. peace with the earth, the way we are uh, destroying our rainforest, the way we are killing our animals in factory farms, and the way we are destroying, poisoning our soil. That's all acts of war against nature. And mm. so peace with nature was also very important even at that time. So I decided to walk, uh, particularly to protest against the nuclear arms race 
and, and nuclear um, weapons and the Cold War. But behind that was also, I'm I was advocating inner peace, uh, peace within our heart and also peace with nature. So this comprehensive peace was my aim. But the headline was protesting against the nuclear weapons. And I walked from New Delhi, from the grave of Mahatma Gandhi, through Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Georgia, Russia, and Moscow. And then from Moscow, I walked to Smolensk and Minsk, Belarusia, and then Poland and, and Eastern Germany at that time. And I walked through the Berlin Wall and the West Germany. And now Germany are united. But when I was walking, they were divided into two, East Germany and West Germany. And I had to cross through the Berlin Wall. And then I came to Belgium and then I came to Paris. And then um, uh, that was the second nuclear um, power in Paris. And then uh, um, uh, I took a little boat from uh, Dover to uh, Calais to Dover. And then from Dover, I walked to London and, uh, and I met Burton Russell. And then I, Burton Russell helped me to take a boat uh, from Southampton to New York. And then I walked from New York to Washington. And, and, uh, and, and I ended my journey at the grave of John F. Kennedy. So I started from the grave of Mahatma Gandhi in New Delhi and ended at the grave of John F. Kennedy in Washington, D.C. And then I met Martin Luther King and, and, and I uh, traveled in the United States giving talks about peace. And then I went to Japan and then I walked from Japan, uh, in Japan, from Tokyo to Hiroshima. And, and that was 45 days extra for the uh, pilgrimage to Hiroshima. Hiroshima being the on the first mm. um, victim of the nuclear or the uh, H-bomb, the, uh, the H-bomb, yeah. uh, nuclear bomb. And then um, Japanese people helped me to take a boat from Japan to India. So that was a two and a half years of journey, 8,000 miles for peace. But the peace, nuclear disarmament, yes, that was the headline, but peace within our heart and peace with nature as well as peace among people. So already even though I had not coined the term soil, soul, society. I was working at that time, even at three levels of peace um, with nature and peace in our heart and peace with people. I think it's testament to the innate goodness of humans that you're able to do that. Um, you know, going with openness and um, willing to make connection and people were Absolutely. helping you out along the way. Absolutely, because I walked for two and a half years 8,000 miles without a penny in my pocket. No money. Completely no money. We were talking about money yeah. and you said that everybody chasing money. But for two and a half years, I lived, I slept, I ate. People gave me food, people gave me clothes, people gave me shoes, people gave me shelter. Everywhere I trusted. So I trust in my heart and I trusted myself and I trusted people and I trusted the universe. I trusted God and I trusted everybody. And with trust in my heart, I was able to go around the world without spending a penny from my pocket. That's a fantastic uh, experience for you. Um... I, I you usually wrap up the interviews with a few quickfire questions that the listeners can use to incorporate into their own life and uh, and yeah be able to get a richer experience for themselves. Um, if you could recommend three daily habits for people out there that would en enrich their lives in some way, and what would you give? I would say every day, at least half an hour to one hour, go for a walk. Going for a walk will clear your mind make you healthy in your body, good exercise, connects you with nature, and it will ignite your imagination. When you are walking, your ideas, philosophical, poetic, literary, uh, family, uh, anything that you want to uh, think of, they will come to you. When you are walking, your mind is relaxed and clear and your imagination ignited. So mm. one idea I would say everybody, just at least half an hour to one hour, go out and walk. Whatever you are doing, however busy you are, will leave your phone behind, leave your computer behind, leave your work behind and just go for a walk or go to work on your foot uh, and come back from your work to your home on foot. And while you are walking, you will feel healthy. That's one good um, advice I can give. Secondly, if you can find time, half an hour or even 20 minutes, sit in silence in your room quietly. 
experience the silence, noble silence. We are all the time talking, talking, talking. In this interview, we have been talking. But if we practice silence and the language and the words emerge out of silence, that time for meditation, that time for silence, that time for stillness, the time with yourself and who you are and why you are here and what is the purpose of your life and what is the meaning of your life and what you are doing with your life. All those very basic fundamental uh, thoughts come to your mind and you find some answer from your own heart. You don't have to look answer outside. You don't have to look for answer in a book or you don't have to look for an answer from some uh, teacher or some uh, great prophet. The answer is from your heart. But you have to listen to your heart. You have to sit down quietly without any disturbance, without any interruption, without any, um, any, any uh, uh, obstruction. Mm. Sit in silence for half an hour. That's another uh, a tip I can give you for your happiness and for well-being of the planet as well as well-being of yourself. So those are two things I would say. And the third I would say, if you can, spend some time preparing your food. When you are preparing your mm. food, it's more than feeding yourself. You are in touch with nature. You are in touch with reality. You are in touch with um, the ingredients coming from the soil, coming from nature. What are they? Where have they come from? What is the value? What kind of food are you eating? If you are not in touch with your food, without food there is no body. Without food, there is no life. And we have forgotten the value of food. We just use food as a kind of like a petroleum in the car, as a kind of um, oiling, uh, oiling the body. Food is more than a petrol in the body. Uh, food is a, a source of sustenance, for, source of nourishment, and is a kind of source of spirituality. Food is sacred. And therefore, these are the three things I'll give. Very simple. I believe in simplicity. And the simplicity is that you walk every day, you meditate every day, and you cook and eat every day, and if possible, together with your husband or wife or children or friends or guests, together. At the table, dining time, you are in a community. You are in relationship with other people. And that relationship will nurture you, nourish you, and make you whole and make you happy and make you healthy. So building that community around the food, around the dining table, for me is very important. I always have food and dinner with my wife, with my children, and I find that nourishing not only physically, but also psychologically and spiritually. I think those are three really valid points because they are accessible and they cost nothing. Exactly. Yeah, you don't need money. Yeah, back to the point on money. Yeah. Um, What's the, the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice I have received is to read poetry. Because in poetry, particularly very beautiful poetry of, say, William Blake or, or Shakespeare or uh, Ruby uh, or Hafiz or Rabindranath Tagore in India or Basho in uh, Japan or Walt Whitman in America, many, many great poets around the world. I have been, I have was given this advice that every day, if you read some poetry, that will inspire you, that will ignite your imagination. And so every day I read poetry. That's the kind of fourth thing you can say. Uh, that also doesn't need any money and doesn't cost you anything. Read poetry slowly and not too many two or three poet poems a day, and that's enough. Even one poem a day, but properly and deeply and understanding it. And when I read poetry and I feel it and I understand it, it's very, very uh, nourishing. So that's the best advice I have been given in my life. Read poetry. That's something I'll have to try. Yeah. Um, before I ask my last question, uh, if people watching, listening, um, they want to connect with you or find more of your work, and um, where could they go to get hold of that? They have to go to uh, my website, which is resurgence.org. Resurgence is the magazine. Resurgence and Ecologist is the magazine, which I was editing uh, for more than 40 years. And now I'm editor emeritus. And all my books, I've written nine books, including Soil, Soul, Society. And the latest book is Elegant Simplicity. 
and, and my autobiography, No Destination, and many, many other films and so on, uh, there are, uh, they can all be obtained from resurgence.org uh, website. And so Resurgence is the best source of all the information about me. And I would add as well that there's uh, some really uh, um, amazing talks that you've done, TED Talks. Yes. Um, and that's a, a great way to have an introduction also to yeah, your Yeah, and they are on YouTube. View. They're on YouTube. They're on YouTube for free, really e yeah, easily yeah, accessible. Yeah, yeah. Actually, on YouTube, you can find many more um, of my talks, you, uh, uh, TED Talks, but also other talks and interviews you can find on YouTube. Fantastic. Thank you. You are welcome. Um, so, so for the last question, um, what would you say to yourself if you had a phone call with the 18-year-old the uh, Satish, um, if you had a phone that went back in time? You had two minutes to chat to yourself. What would you say? I would say to 18-year-old Satish that world is very beautiful. Life is very beautiful. People are very beautiful. Don't be depressed. Don't be disappointed. Don't look just the negative. There are many, many beautiful things in this world. Celebrate, enjoy, and live your good life. Life is a journey of love. That's beautiful words. Um, Satish, thank you so much for featuring on Second Mind. Um, you know, in the time that I've got to have this conversation, I, I really feel that um, you, know, you mentioned uh, Mahatma Gandhi, um, be the change you want to see in the world. And you're someone who is an uh, excellent representation of that. And I hope people can um, feel the, the positive energy that you are, um, that you shine out into the world. Um, and it inspires them to get involved, <coughs> connecting with nature, connecting with other people, connecting with themselves, soil, soul and society. Um, and for all the listeners today, thank you very much for tuning in. And once again, thank you, Satish. Thank you. Absolute thank you pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome.